You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Well, today I want to take a little different twist and not just talk about healthcare because I think the most important thing going on in our country today is this creeping issue of socialism. Now, the number one thing that Karl Marx and Saul Linsky uh, have written about is that the way to expand and create a socialist economy, a socialist country, is the very first thing that's the most important is to control health care. Since this is a health care program, I want to back up and talk about socialism in general so that people listening to this might have a better understanding and idea of what socialism is really about. So I want to talk about the nine ways that socialism will morally bankrupt America. Now let's talk about some definitions and some reasons why socialism seems to be growing. Because every day socialism becomes more and more popular among young Americans. And there are three reasons why. One, socialism is being marketed to young people as kind, selfless, and community-focused. Number two, many people are unaware of socialism's dismal record in governing and managing the lives of people. And three, young people are not being taught America's founding principles, so they are unprepared to combat the narratives they hear in their schools and colleges and from their left-wing professors. It's been said that the way you teach your young people now will create the kind of government that you have in the next decade. And that's what's been happening for quite a while. Our young people are being taught in college, and now it's down into high school, middle school, and even elementary school, that America is a racist country, that capitalism is bad. And no one seems to be countering that with the proper materials and education or calling it out for what it is, fake news. So at first glance, these narratives that they're hearing sound compelling. Socialist popularizer Danny Katz writes, Socialism is a society whose top priority is meeting all of its people's needs, ranging from food, shelter, and health care, to art, culture, and companionship. Now recognize that we have a very prominent democratic socialist in the United States Senate. Bernie Sanders, senator from Vermont, says he's an independent, but he also identifies as a democratic socialist says that democratic socialism means that we must create an economy that works for all, not just for the very wealthy. Sounds good. Well, the magazine Teen Vogue goes further, saying capitalism takes the position that greed is good, while anti-capitalists view capitalism as an inhumane, anti-democratic, unsustainable, deeply exploitive system that must be dismantled. Teen Vogue continues, in a capitalist country, the focus is on profits over anything else. In a socialist country, the public is seen to be more important, and social welfare is a major priority. 
In 2008, a Democratic Socialist that's in the House of Representatives, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York said, in the wealthiest nation in the world, working families shouldn't have to struggle. This movement is for Congress. It's about education and health care. It's about housing, jobs, justice, and civil rights. It's about preparing for the future of our environment, energy, and infrastructure. It's about championing the dignity of our neighbors. It's about getting money out of politics. Oh, that sounds so good in practice, which is what has happened in the history of this world that has adopted socialist policies. It sounds good, but it doesn't work in practice because those promises of socialism are fake promises. It removes personal responsibility. It removes the dignity of work. It removes the productivity of people and just gives them enough so that they get by. So everybody is equal, but they're equally poor. So a central pillar of good marketing is to frame the presentation so that the seller is offering what the potential buyer already wants to buy. That is much easier than convincing a buyer of what he needs. So when promoting socialism, these leaders present a utopian socialist ideal that doesn't address real-world problems and contrast it with the often messy reality of existing society and government. Socialists rarely talk about actually existing socialist countries or their historical record. They compare real capitalism to fake socialism. In this socialist utopian vision, the only way to live a fulfilled, connected life is to take care of your neighbor, is to share all things with them equally. Those who support free enterprise are painted as selfish, isolated, and uncaring. When those are the two options that young people are presented with for the future of America, it's no wonder so many have heeded the siren call of socialism. Who, after all, is opposed to an economy that works for all or meets all its people's needs? Everyone wants education, prosperity, jobs, justice, and a strong community. Unfortunately, none of the promises are true. There's nothing or selfless about socialism. It doesn't promote community, prosperity, or justice. It destroys them. It only creates power for the few elite that actually run a government under socialism. Most people want socialism in America don't realize that they are being told a fairy tale with a tragic ending. We've seen this over and over again in the last century in dozens of countries and always with heartbreaking results. The experts at the Heritage Foundation, America's most influential policy think tank, have put together a simple guide to help you better understand the nine ways that socialism will morally bankrupt America. As you listen to this and maybe share with others the truth about the dangerous philosophy, and as you defend your founding principles of America as we have noted for over 200 50 years. So socialism opposes, directly opposes the American dream. Socialism promises to create equal outcomes for everybody through government redistribution of income or wealth because it believes unequal circumstances equally, however, creates inequality. 
So let me read that again. Socialism promises to create equal outcomes for everybody through government redistribution of income or wealth. Because it treats unequal circumstances equally, however, it actually creates inequality. The American dream is about rewarding those who work hard, take risks, and defer short-term pleasure to put themselves and their family in a better place. We need to look no further than the Declaration of Independence to best understand the definition of the American dream. Let me quote from that Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Because it takes away the benefits of hard work, even if it results in material equality, which in practice it does not, socialism is deeply unfair. Now, number two, politicians in power make your most important decisions for you. Well, socialism systematically tramples on our liberty by forcing people to act how government demands. Politicians and bureaucrats, not people themselves, would make many of the most critical decisions in our lives and severely restrict our choices. In 1964, Ronald Reagan gave one of the most powerful speeches called A Time for Choosing. In that speech, he said it best. I'll quote, A government can't control the economy without controlling people, and they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. They also knew, those founding fathers, that outside of its legitimate functions, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Now, number three, freedom of choice is severely limited or even eliminated under socialism. Because to make socialism work, government forces you to give up your freedom to chart your own course in life. It would radically limit your ability to choose your calling, to be creative or innovative, or to raise your family the way you want to. Because government would define where you could go to school and what curriculum you would have there, your future career options would also be dictated by them. This would put you on a government-directed trajectory for the rest of your life. We saw this happen in communist countries in the 20th century. We see elements of it in public schools today. Under a socialist regime, your ability to change careers, pursue your creativity, or follow your dreams would be snuffed out. Now, number four, all under socialism will suffer equally. Mild socialism lowers the public standard of living. When it is seriously implemented, it always leads to mass poverty and deprivation. It's never led to greater prosperity. A hundred years ago, at the dawn of the Russian Revolution, one could be a socialist and hope in good faith that it could achieve or at least advance its utopian aspirations. We didn't have the data to prove otherwise. Now we do. Today, as we look at the history of countries like the Soviet Union, China, North Korea, Venezuela, and Cuba, we can see that socialism has nothing left, has left nothing but disaster in its wake. Every time it has been tried, it has failed. It reduces citizens' well-being and ensures mass poverty. 
knowingly adopting a set of policies that will hurt your fellow Americans in this way would not just be blind, it would be wrong. So we have seen this history over and over again of socialism. It doesn't take what someone might think of as a full socialist government. It's every little bit of socialism, that growing of the centralized power in Washington, D.C., in this country, that adds another brick to this wall of socialism that ultimately locks you in behind the barrier that you can't get through with your own aspirations. So we don't have to become a Soviet Union, a China, North Korea, Venezuela, or Cuba to have the detrimental effects that socialism creates. Just the implementation of policies that we're seeing under this administration, this Biden administration, where Bernie Sanders, the democratic socialist, admitted democratic socialist, is chairing one of the most powerful committees in Congress. And the left of the Democratic Party, the socialist part of that party, is driving the agenda with taxes, with government regulations, with the elimination of jobs, where they did that right away, with getting rid of the Keystone Pipeline, where we were energy independent. And now they're attacking and stirring up the pot in the Middle East. Well, who's going to benefit from all this? But the other countries that are creating jobs through coal and oil and gas, and those are the Soviet Union, China, other countries that we don't want to be beholden to. We don't want to have to get our gas and oil from the Middle East anymore. We don't want to have Europe dependent upon the Soviet Union. Well, let's take a break right here, and let's come back in a few minutes, and let's continue this talk and discussion about socialism and its detrimental effects on this country. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today uh, on Healthcare Insight, we're really stepping back and talking about the creeping socialism in this country because we know that socialist countries almost always initially target healthcare. So we want to talk about what socialism is doing in this country, what it's done worldwide, what the history of socialism has been. So we're going through a document that's actually prepared by an outside organization, the Heritage Foundation, that's listing out the reasons 
and the problems that socialism creates. And hopefully this message gets across to a few people who maybe shares it with others, and we have a ripple effect that people begin to have arguments against this growing socialism to your your children, your neighbors, your friends. So the fifth item that's mentioned is that if everyone owns the resources, then no one truly owns them. This is another reason why socialism is just a bad steward of assets, because it encourages the overuse and overconsumption of underpriced resources. Moreover, it makes people careless about being wasteful or polluting the environment because it erodes any sense of personal responsibility. The old saying is that when something is owned by everybody, it's really owned by nobody. According to no one, accordingly, no one has an incentive to reward or protect what they have. Now, I've seen this firsthand. I traveled to China a number of years ago, and what I saw was truly remarkable that emphasizes this whole point about if everyone owns the resources, nobody owns them. I traveled to several schools. I was on a business-slash-vacation trip. We usually do business in the morning talking to the Chinese business leaders. They were going through a, an evolution in areas um, like insurance, and I was invited over along with other actuaries to try to help them understand free market principles, the idea of selling insurance and people making a commission off of a sale. So that's what the whole trip was about. But in the afternoons, we did some sightseeing. And I went to many of the schools over there where children were learning. Uh, they had dance recitals. They had exercises going on. And we would go into these schools, and the schools looked rather beaten up and worn down. The windows were cracking, the paint was bubbling up, the floors were uneven. No one seemed to be caring for these resources, the buildings. And what I found out when I asked more probing questions is that these buildings that I was visiting were only a few years old. And I was shocked. They looked like the elementary school that I went to back in Pennsylvania that was built in the early 1900s. They looked that old after only being built for a couple of years. And I asked, how is that possible? And it asked, required a number of probing questions to answer that, that, that inquiry. But what I found out is that every worker in China has to put a certain amount of money into a government social security program, much like we do in the United States today. And just think of it more as a, a personal account that they had over, have over there, more like a 401k that's run by the centralized uh, communist uh, bureaucracy. And when that money is put in to this Chinese 401k, I'll call it, the government has to invest that in something. What are they investing it in? They're investing those dollars into construction. So you see some wonderful new hotels over there, giant office buildings, and you see a lot of structure that's owned by the Chinese government. 
And the idea is, I'm sure from the economic side, that the Chinese government would own these buildings, rent them out, make income to be able to grow those Chinese 401ks. Well, that really wasn't working out in what I saw during my visit. Yeah, on the outside, everything might look great and wonderful, but what's really happening is that that property is not owned by anybody. It's owned by the centralized federal government. Well, the United States, you can see what happens with federally owned properties here, our mass housing projects and what happens to them when nobody really owns them. They deteriorate. Nobody keeps them up. There's an old saying, nobody washes a rented car. And that perfectly describes what goes on in a society when no one really owns that property. No one wants to keep it up. No one wants to spend their time or certainly not any money to keep up and repair something that's owned by somebody else. So during that visit to China, that's exactly what I saw. These buildings were crumbling. And the scary part was because those buildings were an asset of the centralized government that was supposed to generate revenue and income to help support those retirement programs, those assets were deteriorating far rapidly, more rapidly than the income that was being generated from them. So 20, 30 years from now, those buildings will be completely dilapidated and the assets that are standing behind those Chinese 401ks really wouldn't exist. And I can see a tremendous amount of turmoil being generated when those bills come due. The individuals are expecting to have their retirement plans, and they find out that the Chinese government has wasted that money in deteriorating assets. It'd be like in the United States, we have some assets that naturally deteriorate. When you buy a car, as soon as you drive out of a dealership, the value of that car drops probably 25 30%. And from there on after, when you use it, it continues to deteriorate. And you know that when you buy a car that you're going to use it, you're going to use it up. Hopefully you sell it for some amount uh, when you're finished or you trade it in. But it's not a particularly good investment that you expect to earn some income from or that you use it. And then when you sell it later on, you're going to get more for it than you paid. That's not any expectation on an asset like a car. You expect it to be deteriorating, as you would with furniture or many other assets that we purchase for personal use. Well, think about the whole country of China doing that with its money. It's buying deteriorating assets, not because they should be deteriorating, but because they're an asset that's not being maintained. Those buildings are crumbling after only a few years, let alone what they're going to look like in 10 or 20 years. So that's a big issue that socialism has completely failed at, and that's personal ownership of property. So what do they do to compensate for that? Well, the sixth item is robbing Peter to pay Paul, and it's morally wrong. They're taking somebody's money, taking somebody's money for yourself or to give it to somebody else, whether using government as an intermediary or not, is not morally praiseworthy. Robbing Peter to pay Paul or allowing Paul to take from Peter does not raise 
or even rise to the level of virtue or have any moral merit. Voluntarily using your own time and money to help another is a different matter. Benevolence, charity, and compassion are virtues. But charitable acts involve voluntary giving of yourself to another, not being forced to give by government. Neither government coercion nor compliance with government coercion has any moral merit. And socialism promotes that. Think about the example I just went through with those deteriorating buildings. How are they going to pay the retirement of those Chinese citizens down the road? Well, clearly those assets aren't going to support it. So what they'll wind up doing in all likelihood is to take money from the newer generation and instead of really being able to invest those dollars, they're going to have to pay the benefits of the older generation. And the only way that works is with a continuously growing population because they've started off in the hole and it's going to be a hole they just can't dig out of. Does this sound familiar? Maybe this sounds a little bit like our own retirement social security program in this country. We continue to rob Peter to pay Paul. It's the young people that are paying for older people's retirement because there is no real money. There are no assets that are in the social security so-called trust fund. It's just government paper. It's not real assets. It's not stocks or bonds or buildings, even like the Chinese have tried to do and failed. In our country, we just sort of make it up and put it on a ledger. So when it comes time for somebody to retire, you tax the younger people to pay for the older people. That's why we're growing into more and more socialism as we expand these programs. Because what could that younger person do with his own money? He would be able to invest it for his own retirement. He would be able to use it to buy a house or put his own kids through college. But instead, through coercion, our government is taking money from those younger people by force and giving it to older people, many of whom probably don't even need it because they've been successful enough so that they don't have to rely on Social Security. But that doesn't matter. Young people are still forced by government coercion to pay into a system that they won't see any benefit from for many, many decades. And what they'll get out of that system is far less than what they put in. We're now in that kind of a hole where it's going to be difficult to dig out of it. Socialism has crept into the United States system, and you can see the parallels with a purely socialist country like China, a communist country like China even, and some of the things that we've implemented in the United States. And we've discussed and debated, and the politics are such that we're so far into that kind of a socialist program that it's pretty difficult to get out of, which is why a lot of people just keep passing socialist-type programs and legislation because once you get into it, you get so buried and mired in that socialist philosophy that you just can't get out of it. And who gets hurt? Young people, minorities. It winds up hurting them the most. The new younger generation is trying to get themselves out of poverty, would like to have that money to buy a house, to buy a car, support their family, take a vacation, put some money in the bank, plan for retirement. They can't do that like they would like to because the government is taking money away from them 
and helping the older generation. So I hope you can see from this kind of a discussion that socialism in this area of taking money from one person to give it to another, the so-called wealth transfer, is almost always done inappropriately without the proper thought of what the ramifications are, and people get hurt. And it's typically the people you say you're trying to help that get hurt the most. Well, let's take another break, and we'll come back in a few minutes, and we'll continue this discussion today on socialism and its impact on your life and its impact on my life, and more importantly, the impact on the entire country and our future generations. Be right back. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Hey guys, it's Minister Frankie with Shine His Light Ministries. It's getting cold outside and winter is coming. It's time to shine a little light on our friends on the street. We're collecting blankets and coats for the homeless all winter long. Please donate by going to our website at www.shinehislightministry.com or text 770-655-8055. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Again, welcome back to America's Web Radio and Healthcare Insight. Let's continue with this discussion on socialism the dangers of socialism, the creeping socialism within the United States government, and examples of how things haven't worked in other countries and how it just hurts the people many times that you're trying to help. So one of the big issues around socialism is that power is consolidated within a centralized government or within any part of the overall government of people. Socialism gives the government the power to take your hard-earned resources away from you and use those resources as politicians and bureaucrats determine. This damages the communities and the web of relationships that we all rely on in order to live a full and meaningful life. Further, socialism impedes the often and often seeks to suppress relationships fostered by private institutions such as religious, congregations, schools, charities, and civic organizations, and to silence ideas or sources of influence that do not agree with the state's agenda. Now let's think about this one. Have we or have we not, over the last 50 years, consolidated more and more power into Washington, D.C.? Well, of course we have. The government's grown enormously, Any department is double, triple, quadruple the size it was 50 years ago. We've added new programs, more bureaucrats, and every bureaucrat's job is to write a new regulation. So they sit around writing regulations. It's hard to even believe some of the regulations that come out. 
I mean, they've even tried to promote the idea that farmers need to pave their dirt roads going between their crops because it creates dust. You know, they talk in Washington about the way they control people, the way they write regulations. Just think about the example of that farmer who wanted to pave his dirt road. They've talked about that his cows are creating pollution because of the excrement that cows generate. I mean, it's gotten so ridiculous that it's hard to believe that we're not in some fantasy world. The bureaucrats are growing in Washington. Again, let me give you a personal example. I spent many years in Washington, D.C. as a consultant. And the reality is that Congress has passed on its real responsibility of legislating to give the power to the bureaucrats through regulation. So Washington passes legislation that has uncertain language. It isn't always clear. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it's contradictory. And the real impact of any law is ultimately determined by the bureaucrats who will examine the law and then make determinations as to what it really means. Now, I've been involved with health care up there, and health care legislation has been passed, and I've been called into the Treasury Department, into the bureaucratic mumbo-jumbo up there to try to figure out what it means so we can write regulations that actually make sense. And I can tell you firsthand that in many cases, the legislation might refer to other legislation that is trying to fix or that is trying to attach to, and the reference in law to that other piece of legislation is one that doesn't exist. And so you have to go back to the intent. You have to go back to the original writers. You have to listen to the debate to figure out what it is that they really meant or intended when you try to write the regulation. Well, that gives a lot of power of interpretation to the bureaucrats. But keep in mind, there's a process here. It's sort of a circle of life that goes on. You have legislation. Then you have regulation. Then you'll have litigation, and then you'll try to get compliance. And when people are in compliance, that's what creates the litigation because people say, well, you're telling me to do something, but it really wasn't in the law. So ultimately what happens is it goes to courts. And so after the bureaucrats take this shot at trying to interpret the law, you'll have disputes over what those bureaucrats have written and what the original intent was, and there'll be lawsuits around any piece of legislation. And it will go through the courts, sometimes resolved rapidly, sometimes goes all the way up to the Supreme Court for making a decision on what the law really meant, and whether it's constitutional or whether the regulations are properly implied, what the law said. So you have all this litigation that goes on, and then if the litigation comes out that somebody doesn't like, Guess what? It goes back to legislation, which is what's happened with Obamacare. Now, keep in mind this whole issue of regulations driving our lives. The very first thing we said at the beginning of this hour was if you want to create a socialist society, the very first thing you want to do is control health care, and you can control the people. Now, I can't find any better evidence of that than in this coronavirus situation. We think what's happened in the name of health care, of the health of the population, the bureaucrats and the politicians go hand in hand and try to tell us what we can do. Can you believe in this day and age 
that they tell us how many people can be in a church, voluntarily in a church, that the state was restricting whether you could have a church, whether the only way you could have church was do it through a drive-through, or that you could only have 10 people in a room, or that you couldn't meet at all, but you could have riots of hundreds and thousands of people, but you can't go to church, or that you can't have free assembly uh, for political purposes. I mean, think about what's happened in some of the states, like Governor Whitmer in, in Michigan. Stores were only allowed to be open, and only certain stores were allowed to be open. They allowed Target to be open, but only to go to certain parts of a Target store. So if you have a super Target store or a super Walmart, you're allowed to go and get groceries, pick up some basic supplies, toilet paper, napkins, plates, food items. But, Lordy, if you try to go back into the store and buy a baby crib, that's not allowed. Now, when did we become a country where politicians and bureaucrats could set up rules and regulations that would disallow our freedom of movement and voluntary purchases and sales of goods? So that's why socialism around healthcare is so critical. Now, just think about the other example that's so flagrant about requiring to wear masks. Now, would you ever think that there would be a law or an implementation by law enforcement that you have to mask, wear a mask when you're outside and nobody is around you? I don't know how many people actually watch the poor lady watching her son's football game. And she's sitting in the sand and nobody is really around her. But she's not wearing a mask. And so they told her she had to wear a mask. And when she refused, saying, I'm outside, nobody's around me, I don't need to wear a mask. And then what happens? A policeman comes up and hauls her off physically because she's not going to be wearing a mask. Can you believe that is the United States of America? But that's what people can do under the guise of health care reform. But keep in mind that only a few months prior to that, we were being told by the bureaucrats, the great Dr. Fauci, that we didn't have to wear masks, that masks actually created a danger, and that the coronavirus could come through our eyeballs because they're exposed. That mask really didn't do any good for us, that we should not be wearing masks because the first First-line defenders, the doctors and the nurses and the emergency room people needed to have those masks. So the argument then was that the general public didn't need masks. So now the bureaucrats are telling us we need at least two masks, if not three. And they say they want to follow the science. But the science says that we could have opened our school to young children months ago. But... What do the bureaucrats say, even though they say it? Do they change? Do the politicians give up the power of telling people what they can and cannot do? No, they continue to pursue this idea of they got to lock down people, they got to restrict people, they got to restrict outdoor activities of a certain type. But if you're of a difficult political persuasion, you want to have a different different kind of an outing. You want to have a a riot or a demonstration against somebody, but you're on the liberal side, that's okay. But if you're on the conservative side, forget it. You're going to be prosecuted. You're going to be hauled off. 
So you can see how under the use of controlling people with health care, you can control almost every aspect of our life and use health as an excuse. And believe it or not, it was even backed up by courts. Now, I don't see anywhere in our Constitution where it says that any of our constitutional rights were given up during an emergency declared by the government, a health care emergency. Did we give up our rights in 1917 and 18 uh, with the Spanish flu? Did we give it up with the avian flu? Did we give it up with Ebola? Did we give it up with HIV AIDS? No, we didn't give up any of our rights there, but we've moved into a different era where the politicians and the bureaucrats can get together and control what's happening in the United States and what you and I can do and what we can't do. Now, they can give us the information. We can do it voluntarily, but that's not what they're talking about. So to break this down to businesses and social communities, and they can then stifle any thought, speech, and expression that goes against what a socialist government says is right, and that's inherently un-American and morally wrong. Do they have a right to tell restaurants that they can open or not open? Then they tell them they can open outdoors, but they can't have TVs outdoors. Does that make any sense? Or you have the California governor that says, well, you can walk in the surf, but you can't sit on the beach. How do you get to surf if you can't walk on the beach? I mean, these things make no sense. You have people making decisions on, I don't know what basis, but it's certainly not science that they claim that they're trying to promote. They're only promoting the things that they really want and think is important for them. So we've got to find a level of resistance to the kind of insanity that's going on when it comes to health care. Don't believe the bureaucrats. Don't believe the politicians. You ought to have the right to do things under our Constitution that you have not waived your rights just because somebody in the higher level of office, your governor or your president or Congress says, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Well, show me where I can't and be willing to take it to court. We ought to use our own discretion. We ought to use our own voluntary decision on what's good for me and what's good for somebody else. I've had my two shots now, and they're now just telling me that I can go and hug my grandchildren, but I still ought to be very careful around them and which ones I'm hugging and which ones I'm not. Give me a break. This government is out of control. This administration that we have is out of control. They make things up for whatever they want to make up. And I think we need to be very careful over the next almost four years that's ahead of us that this kind of shenanigans, this kind of reduction in our personal liberties just can't continue. We've got to fight back at it and join and be part of organizations. Promote it yourself with your neighbors and your friends and your family that we're just not going to tolerate the kind of shutdowns that have occurred Because this administration has said they're willing to shut down the economy again if the bureaucrats tell them. Well, I don't trust the bureaucrats to tell them, and hopefully we're getting out of this thing. Well, let's take a break again. We're going to come back and wrap up this hour with more of these ideas of what socialism really means and how it can affect the lives of you, me, your family members, your neighbors, and everybody around you. So stick with us. We'll be right back. 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back once again to America's Web, Web Radio. Again, this is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. We want to wrap up today this discussion on socialism and its impact on various parts of our lives. We've gone through seven items of how socialism is a negative force in any society and why people should be fighting against the movement towards socialism, towards greater power centralized in Washington, D.C., that allows bureaucrats and politicians at a higher level, to try to tell us what to do. So number eight in this process is that socialism creates dissent and stifles freedom of speech. Boy, we've heard that over and over again as we get into this cancel culture that people are afraid to speak their mind. They're afraid to give their opinions. If it's on the wrong side of an issue and somebody is offended by it, then, good Lord, you're the one that's the problem Not that they're just so sensitive that they can't stand to hear something that's contradictory to what they might feel. I mean, I was just listening to a radio program today where the word normal now is taken as an insult by some people. Because if you're not using um, a bar of soap that says, you know, for oily skin, normal skin, and for dry skin, and... The soap companies are taking off the word normal. I guess it's Procter and Gamble because they they're being told that the word normal offends some people because if they're not using the normal skin soap, that must mean they're abnormal. I mean, give me a break. What kind of a country are we that everybody's going to be offended by something? Everybody's going to be a victim of something, and you're only a victim and you only can be offended if you're on one side of the political spectrum. Talk about dividing the country. We're dividing a country unnecessarily. And I think the ultimate purpose is that the people that they don't like, they'll they'll find something that they say, something that they did. And it's not to change their speech or to change a word. It's to diminish the person or people that are using that. I mean, lately, just look at what's happened People going back into the 1980s, where you have uh, the um, the fellow who was running, I guess, the bachelor programs, Harrison. And he was talking about one of the contestants that was um, a member of a college fraternity in the South. 
and in the South, it's not unusual for college fraternities to want to uh, have the women dress up in fancy dresses and colorful outfits. And they present themselves as part of the old South where people were wearing these big wide dresses and colorful hats and just having a good time reflecting on their history and their culture of what existed. They're not trying to promote racism. They're not trying to say we need to go back to slavery. It's just college kids having a fun time. And all of a sudden, if Harrison said that, well, that was five years ago and nobody thought anything about it. So you have to look at some of these activities in the times in which they were being promoted or the party was happening. That Maybe you wouldn't do it today because everybody is so on edge about everything and can read in whatever they want. But he's saying that was that was just the time, so reflect on that. And he was kicked off the program. He had to grovel and apologize for his not understanding. And, of course, you have many on the left now, like Robert Reich, who was Secretary of Labor under Clinton. He wants to send some of the people like you and me listening today to retraining camps. We need to go and, and get retrained that are – our, our understanding of the social problems and the sensitivity of others were not being um, fair to them. They were creating an unfair, unsafe environment because we say a given word or we do a certain activity. But, of course, the governor of Virginia who goes blackface at a college party, a little uproar occurs over him, but is he forced to resign? No, but people who are using the wrong word, uh, do a wrong tweet or Snapchat comment, whatever it is, they'll get hounded out of their job. They'll lose their business. They'll be boycotted. I mean, how does that bring us together? How does that create any kind of unity? If everybody and everything that you do, somebody's offended by it, and we're going to destroy lives and destroy businesses. So it's clear that this socialistic approach to life creates dissent and stifles free speech. But I think the real issue is they're trying to get at the people, not at the speech or even the written word. They're trying to minimize the people so that they won't speak out and only the people on the left, on the the progressive left, can actually talk about issues and say anything that they want to say. So instead of promoting free speech and dissent, socialism is a deadening bureaucratic uniformity of thought. Government control and regulation of the media, of political speech, and of elections is the norm in socialist countries. And we're seeing that today, especially the control of elections. When the Republicans in Congress want to have elections and votes cast by eligible individuals, that are certified. They have either a, an ID, a voter ID if they don't have a driver's license, but some government-issued ID so that we know that they're really citizens of the state or of the country. And if we're doing mail-in ballots, that it's for a reason, or we have complete signature verification, not some computer that says, well, if it's around 40% uh, close to their um, signature on file, then we can accept it. Of course, H.R. 1 that the Democrats are pushing says we won't do any of that. 
We won't need voter ID. We won't need certification. We won't do verification of the signature, and we don't require any um, witnesses. You just send in a ballot. Anybody can sign it. Anybody can collect them, and that's okay. Well, clearly, they just want to rig an election. They want to cheat on an election. And if you go against that, again, this free speech doesn't exist. You can't challenge that or you're a racist or you're trying to suppress the vote. Instead of actually trying to have an honest vote, they consider it that you're suppressing the vote. So an influential economist, Frederick Hayek, once wrote, the two consequences of this highly progressive income taxation, which seems to be the most serious, are that it makes for social immobility by making it practically impossible for the successful man to rise by accumulating a fortune and has become near near eliminating that most important element in any free society, the man of independent means. So what happens is, again, we talked about taxing young people to pay for benefits of the older people. That's not helping the whole society. Many of those old people don't need that money. And young people need for homes and family. And they ought to be saving that money so that they can take care of themselves when they are older. Do you have a safety net? Of course you have a safety net. Nobody's arguing about that straw dog of, well, Republicans are just, you know, so libertarian that they don't want any government. No, I don't believe that's where the core of the Republican or conservative movement is. It's that we focus on those in most need and we help them and other folks, we give them a hand up. We give them the encouragement of upward mobility. That's the American dream. Right now we have so much social welfare benefits that keep people down that if you take a look at the population in fifths, it turns out that the least mobile, upwardly mobile population is in that bottom fifth. So if you're born into poverty, you're almost 75 to 80 percent or more likely to stay in poverty because people don't want to get jobs. They want to be on the social welfare. They want the government to give them money because the government is giving them so much in terms of food and clothing and housing and health care and child support, transportation, you name it. There, there's some government program out there in addition to all of the charity organizations that would be helping those populations as well. So freedom of speech is an undeniable right of American citizens, but under socialism, freedom of speech would be stifled by the government. Anybody with three free thoughts or running counter to what the government declared was best for the people are seen as a threat, and that is happening as we speak. But the last and maybe the most damaging uh, issue of socialism is that it creates dependence instead of freedom. Socialism destroys people's drive to be self-sufficient. When you can't make your own choices, can't work to improve your lot in life, can't speak your own mind, and can't follow your dreams, you have no choice but to fall into the corrosive lethargy of dependence. Within a free economy, a free enterprise society, creativity, innovation, and hard work are rewarded, something socialism can never offer, no matter what kind of utopia it pretends to create. For society to flourish, we need to be different. We need to recognize our differences, our different levels of motivation, our different levels of interest in what we want to do and be in life. We need to be able to have the freedom to take risks. Government shouldn't be in the 
role of taking away risks from life. It's risk that makes us different and why some people can create businesses and others work for businesses. And that's okay. Both are valuable roles. And so we need to be able to compete against one another to see who can come up with the best ideas and the best products. Competition allows people to have better options, lower costs, and more creative solutions to the problems they face every day. That is true in every part of our economy, every part of our world that makes any sense any part of the American way is to have more competition, and that's true in healthcare. It's true in education. It's true in every aspect of our life. If we can just get edu- competition in there, but keep in mind what's attractive to many large businesses is this idea that they can use government to control and defeat small businesses and get them out of the way, so they don't grow and be real competitors or take any part of the marketplace. Keep in mind what's happened in COVID is the big companies have prospered. They weren't shut down. Walmart, Target, Amazon, Microsoft, none of those companies shut down. Facebook, Twitter, any of those, they kept going. But what's happened is the small mom and pop grocery stores, those are the ones that got shut down. It's that corner grocery store. They can't open up. They can't allow people in. That little restaurant that is a hole-in-the-wall place where somebody runs a business and makes a living to support their family, they're told they can't have people inside. They might be able to have people outside, but, boy, that's not very good when you're in New York or Boston in the wintertime. And then even for events that people might want to go and, and watch a big-screen TV to see a sports program, they're told, well, you can have people outside, but you can't have a big TV that draws people. Really? What country are we in? Well, I hope this whole discussion around socialism is of some value. I know it's not directly on health care, but it is every one of these factors plays into the idea that if the federal government can control health care, it control you, it control me, and we have the best example of how government is able to control people during this COVID this COVID pandemic that has given more power to these bureaucrats and to elected officials than they should ever deserve to have. And we can also see how they don't want to let it go very fast or very easily. They're going to hold on to that power as long as they possibly can. So thank you for being here this week. Again, I'm going to sign off for America's Web Radio. It's Ron Bachman. We'll see you next week on Healthcare Insight. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.